The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Penny, and I'm the senior pastor here, and it's great to be with you. Uh, if you are a guest or a visitor, welcome. Uh, we're glad that you would join us because <clears throat> we believe that uh, what every single person needs is God's mercy, uh, his grace, his forgiveness. Um, that whether you are uh, new to CTK, whether this is your first time visiting us, whether you've been coming for uh, a long number of years, uh, we are all in need of that grace. That's what we need. That the longing of our heart is for God himself. And through Jesus, he provides, he provides that grace. He provides mercy. He provides forgiveness. And so we return every week, after week after week, right? We come back and we hear about, again, that grace, that mercy that we are in need of. And that's what we'll hear again this morning in uh, Mark's gospel. And so I encourage you to turn to Mark chapter 1. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Mark chapter 1. We are um, finally coming to the end of Mark 1. This has uh, been a few weeks in the, the first chapter. I promised we would be done with it. Uh, this is the last week in Mark 1. Next week we'll be in Mark 2. But in Mark 1 already we've heard about the, the king who is coming, right? Through John the Baptist. He came announcing that, that the king was to come. And we saw this king's anointing, right? When Jesus was baptized by John, the Holy Spirit descended upon him and God declared, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. With the announcement of the king, the king's anointing. Last week, we heard the king calling, calling his followers to follow him, to leave behind even family and work, to, to pursue life with him. And now this morning, we see the king's authority. So if you would, please follow along in Mark 1. We'll begin our reading in verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent, and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him, and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee, and immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Then that evening at sunset they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was healed was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, 
everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him, and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once, and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone. But go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for yourself cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We ask that as we come to it now, that you would help us to submit ourselves to it, that we would come under your authority, your leading, your directing, and we would follow you. Teach us, Father, what it means for Jesus to be our king and for us to be his subjects. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So when my kids were younger and uh, we were still leaving them with babysitters when Kat and I would go out, uh, we would have a, a ritual we would do with the sitter. You know, if, you've, if you have young children or, or you've had young children or maybe you've been a babysitter, you know what this ritual looks like, right? You, you come and the sitter arrives and, and you say to them, you know, do you have our phone numbers in case of emergency? Do you have a phone number we ha- or a phone? We have to ask that now since you know, we don't have landlines. So do you have a cell phone, you know, and, and in an emergency, these are the numbers that you can call. And, and this is when the kids are supposed to go to bed and don't worry, there's pizza in the oven or they've already eaten or whatever. We, we go through those routines, right? This is normal. But there was one thing that we would do uh, right before we would leave. One thing we added to the routine. You see, before we would say to our kids, we love you, we'll see you later, be good. We would ask them, who's in charge? Okay, we're leaving. Who's in charge, right? And we would have them in front of the babysitter so the babysitter could hear their answer. And, and you know, sometimes my kids would get a little cheeky, you know, and they would, you know, if not outright say it, they would be thinking, well, I'm the oldest penny legion still here, so clearly I'm in charge, right? Um, she never actually said that, but, but she was, I'm sure, thinking it. Or, or I'm the most responsible one. Or every once in a while, they would just come right out and say, well, I'm in charge. And then once we stopped laughing and stopped giggling, we would go, no, who is in charge? And they would point to the babysitter and say, she is, or he is. And every one of them had to say it. Every one of them had to say who was in charge. Everyone had to say who had authority when mom and dad left. And we wanted the babysitter to know that the kids knew that she had the authority. Right, that, that she had the authority to call them in when they were playing in the yard. That she had the authority to send them to their rooms when it was time for bed. She had the authority to tell them to clean up after themselves when they were done with dinner. That just because mom and dad weren't there doesn't mean that they had authority unto themselves. But that they were coming under an authority. And y'all, uh, that doesn't stop when you turn 13. Right? Like, 
like all of us, whether we are three or 13, whether we are 23 or 53, every single one of us comes under authority. It may not be the authority of a babysitter any longer, but, but it's authority nonetheless, right? In our places of work, we have a boss who has authority over us, right? In our communities, there's authority like law enforcement. There's political authority. Every single one of us comes under authority. But what's interesting about the authority that we come under is that all of it is derived authority. None of this authority has authority in of itself, but it is granted to them, right? Our boss in our places of work, it's given to him or her from the company, right? The, the authority, uh, the political authority, the politician, she has authority because she has been elected, right? Because the electorate has given her that authority. Or if you're a child, you come under the authority of a sitter who's been given that authority from the parent. Every authority in this world is a derived authority, except for the authority of Jesus, Jesus' authority is the only authority that originates in himself. And that's what we're seeing in this passage. We're seeing his authority as it's displayed in his teaching and in his miracles. And we see that this authority is unlike any authority that anyone has ever seen. So in verses 21 through 22, we read, They went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at this teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Now, we don't know what his teaching was like, right? We don't know what his sermon was like that morning. It, it would be really fun to have sat in that, right? To have heard this sort of teaching that was unlike anything that they had ever heard before to sit under that sort of authority, but, but we don't know what he said, and we don't know what he taught. But what we do know is that whatever he taught, it was unlike anything they had ever heard. They were astonished. Did you see that? They were astonished. They were amazed. Jesus taught as one with authority, not like the scribes. So the scribes in this day, they were teachers of the law. And so this meant that they were students of the law. They had read it. They understood it. And so people would come to the scribes with their questions about the law, and they would interpret it, or they would invoke or cite other scribes, right? You know, like, well, Solomon of, you know, Capernaum or whoever, he says this. And so by citing these other people, they were invoking their interpretation, their authority, their awareness of the scriptures of the law. It's kind of like what we'll do sometimes when we say, you know, it's like when C.S. Lewis says X, or Augustine says Y, or because Calvin believed this, we do this sort of thing, right? It's that citing. It's that looking to another person. And when we do it, what we're doing is we are invoking their authority. That's what the scribes were doing. But that's not what Jesus does. We don't know what he said that morning, but we do know from other gospel accounts that Jesus at times would say things like, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And when he was doing that, he was invoking his own authority, not someone else's. 
Jesus doesn't need to invoke another writer or interpreter to give him authority. He had authority in of himself. It was different. It originated with him. This is why later in our passage, they call it a new teaching, a new authority. And this was evident in how he taught. But, but the majority of our passage actually doesn't focus on Jesus' teaching in the synagogue that morning. The majority of our passage actually is concerned with the other way that Jesus shows his authority. And that's through his miracles. And so we see these miracles at play where Jesus has unique authority over both the spiritual and the physical worlds. So when I say the spiritual world, I'm speaking specifically about the demonic forces, the demonic powers that are at play. And we see this coming about in verse 23. After Jesus' authoritative teaching, we read that immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. Okay, I want us to notice a couple things about this interaction. The first is uh, the demon, the unclean spirit, he knew exactly who Jesus was. Did you see that? He knew exactly who he was. It's not lost on him, right? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God, right? Have you come to destroy us? This reminds me of, of that passage in the book of James where James says that even the demons believe and they shudder. The demon knew exactly who Jesus was. Not only did he know who he was, but he also obeyed him. Did you see that? He obeyed his voice. Jesus says to him, be silent and come out. And he does. Now, what's amazing about this is that we oftentimes think about good and evil, right? We think about good and evil oftentimes as, as competing forces that are often equal or close to being equal, right? That's how we think about it in the world. Or, or often in our stories, in our movies, evil is stronger than good, but somehow good is able to be victorious, right? Through their cunning, through working together, right? I mean, think about like Iron Man and Thanos, right? Thanos is way stronger than Iron Man, and yet the Avengers win. Amazing, you know? Or, or like the Dark Lord and Frodo in Lord of the Rings, right? The Dark Lord versus this little hobbit, the most evil power in the history of Middle Earth, right? Again, this little hobbit, and yet the hobbit wins. Evil is stronger than good, yet somehow, miraculously, amazingly so, good wins out. That's how sometimes we think about it. That's what our stories tell us. But what we see in this passage is that actually the goodness and the power of Jesus is far greater than the power of evil. Yes, there's a competition at play here, but, but it's so one-sided. I mean, did you see how Jesus wins this? He, he wins and defeats the evil, the, the spirit, not with sword or spear, but by a little word, a sentence. Right? That's all he says. Be silent and come out. And the demon obeyed. He was victorious. 
And this power over the spiritual world, it continues in our passage, right? In verse 32, he's healing those oppressed by the demons. In verse 34 and 39, he's casting out demons. In verse 34, he would not permit them to speak. His authority was so great that he can defeat them with just a word. It's like what we sing in that wonderful hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. And that's what Jesus does. Right? He, he doesn't need anyone else's help. He just says, stop it. And they have to obey. And they obey not willingly, right? This isn't the obedience of, of one who is humble, who is, who is bowing a knee in homage, but, but this is one who cannot help but obey because Christ's power is so great. His authority is so mighty that even the demons hear and obey him. But his authority isn't just over the spiritual realm, it's also over the physical so in verses 29 through 31, we see that he heals Simon's mother-in-law. In verses 32 through 34, he's healing the sick. And then in verses 40 through 44, he's healing a man with leprosy. And, and that's where I want us to focus the rest of our sermon. I want to focus on, on the interaction he has with this leprous man. It's the longest section of healings that we see in chapter 1, and it gives us insight into the healings. And what we see immediately is that this man with leprosy, he recognizes his need, right? That's what occurs. He comes imploring Jesus, kneeling before him and begging Jesus to help. Because he, like all those others that were healed, knew that he couldn't do anything to resolve his pain or his disease or his hurt. That if he was going to be healed, he must go to the only one who could heal him. Now, the other thing that's interesting is how the leper kind of uh, throws aside cultural norms in pursuit of Jesus and moving towards him. So the leper, right, so a, a leper in this time, he would have been considered ceremonially unclean, okay, ceremonially unclean because of his skin disease. And so if he would have interacted or touched someone else who was not unclean, who is ceremoniously clean, then he would make the clean unclean. Okay, did you all follow that? So because of that, as the leper is coming through the city, he would have to cry out, unclean, unclean. And people would give him a wide berth. They wouldn't go near him. They wouldn't touch him. But, but you notice that the leper, he comes to Jesus. He comes to him, and he bows before him, and he cries out to him. He throws aside custom and social norms and says, if you will, you can make me clean. And what does Jesus do? Well, he doesn't recoil, right? He doesn't pull away. He doesn't say, how can you talk to me? How can you come anywhere near me? You're going to make me unclean. No, he doesn't do any of those sorts of things. Instead, in verse 41, we're told he was moved with pity. That word pity we sometimes translate it compassion. He was moved by love. Jesus looked at this man in his time of need and he had compassion for him. He had pity for him. And he stretched out his hand 
and touched him and said, I will be clean. And the leprosy went away. The man was cleansed. He was healed. Now, what's amazing is the fact that Jesus touched him, right? I mean, I just told y'all that, that the, the way it worked was that if something was unclean and it touched something or someone that was clean, the one who was clean became unclean, right? So these categories of holy, clean, and unclean, these were uh, ceremonial, ritual, spiritual uh, Um, uh, categories in the Old Testament, and it moved in that direction. The unclean made the clean unclean, and the clean made the holy clean. It it didn't go the other way. And so if you became unclean, you had to do certain rituals, certain sacrifices, and over time, you would be made clean. Now, this didn't mean necessarily that you had sinned. Cleanliness, uh, cultic cleanliness and uncleanliness had nothing to do with sin. Well, sometimes it did. Sometimes it didn't, though. For instance, when a woman gave birth, she was now ceremonially unclean for a period of time. Now, giving birth isn't sinful, right? Right. Yes, it's not. Okay, thank you. Um, good. Uh, so, so they, uh, but it would, it would make her for a time ceremonially unclean, and so she had to do these rituals, and she'd become clean. Now, now what's amazing, though, is what we see Jesus doing, because he who is holy touches this one who is unclean. And in every other instance in the history of God's people, that would have made the one who is holy unclean. But Jesus reverses it. His holiness is so great that when he touches this one who has this skin disease, who is unclean, who wouldn't have felt human interaction or touch for who knows how long, that Christ's power and authority and holiness is so great that he cleanses the unclean. That's what he does. It's incredible. It's a demonstration of his authority because up until now, no one and nothing could have done this. It is actually further proof that Jesus is the king with ultimate authority because the hands of the king have become the hands of the healer. And by his very touch, he can heal. He didn't have to touch him, right? We already saw his power with just a word. But Jesus as demonstrating love for this man. I mean, think about that. How how long had it been since he had been touched? And Jesus touches him and cleanses him. Now think about how Jesus is using his authority. Think about how he's using this power that originates with him, that is demonstrated by miracles, this power over the spiritual realm, over the physical world, to reverse ritual cleanliness. Like, like think about how he's using this power and authority. Now, I want us to think for a second about how we would have used that power and how we would use our authority. Right? I mean, people in power they more often than not use their power to gain more power for themselves, right? And people with authority often use their authority to maintain their own authority, 
right? And so we can look at the world and we can nod in agreement when we hear Lord Acton declare that power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And we can nod in agreement and see how power and authority are often abused and used for self. But did you notice how Jesus used authority and how he used power? It wasn't for himself, but it was in service to others. It was in service to others. It was in service to those who were in need. And it's here where I imagine that many of you would think I I would invite us and call us to use our power, our authority, our spheres of influence for the sake of others, right? Because the truth is, is that every one of us has to some degree, lesser or more, authority and power and influence. We all do. And so we should use that in the service of others, right? And, And yes, we should. But that's another sermon. Because before we ever use our power and authority for those who are in need, we have to recognize that we are in need ourselves. That we are the needy. That we may not be those who who are leprous or demon-possessed, but we are needy nonetheless. We are needy nonetheless. Now, I know that you might be sitting there and thinking, well, I'm young, I'm strong. I'm popular, I have social connections, I'm intelligent, I'm wealthy, I'm good-looking, I'm healthy, I'm whatever it might be, right? And those things, they often blind us to our need. Or we actually use those things to, to pretend like we have no need. But the truth is, is that we are needy. We may not be leprous, we may not be demon-possessed, we might be strong today. Our minds may be sharp in the moment. But the truth is, is that all of us are needy because every one of us is consumed and controlled by sin. Every one of us is needy because sin is at work in our lives. And so what we need is healing and forgiveness and grace. And friends, the good news is that Christ the King sees our need and out of compassion he uses his power and his authority to help us in our need. And he serves us by going to the cross and he takes our sin upon himself and he rises triumphantly over death and hell and the grave. And in doing so, he gives us exactly what we need and what we need is his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. He uses his authority to redeem and heal his needy people, needy people like me and like you. And so, friends, don't be blind to your need. Do not be blind to your need and don't hide your need behind these facades of strength. But instead, cry out to the king. Implore him, beg him, Jesus, make me well. Jesus, be gracious. Jesus, be compassionate. Because, friends, we cry out to him, we beg him, we implore him, because the king, Jesus, he is the one who uses his authority and his power to redeem, to forgive, to be compassionate. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would help us to see our need, to see our need and to turn to Christ. 
Not to try and fix our need in of ourselves, not to try and, and be our own, to uh, appeal to our own strength or power, but instead that we would turn to the power of Christ, the one who is redeemed, the one who is saved, the one who is at work. And so we pray, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would make your people well, that you would forgive our sins, and you would lead us into your truth. And we pray all this in Christ's name and God's people said together, Amen.